And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Totally football show. Today, 12 giant clubs announce plans to play in the Super League. Why UEFA say not on your Agnelli, we ask how will they fare on a wet Wednesday at Wigan Warriors, St Helens or Castleford? Elsewhere, Chelsea have Leicester in the FA Cup final, Man City have Leicester put in their trophy cabinet. There's Blades down, Canaries up, Marcus Rashford's Mystic Megs and more drama in the Intertotally. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Thank you so much for joining us on the Totally Football Show. Uh, this is with you probably on Monday, the 19th of April. Uh, I'm here, though, with Daniel Story. Hello, Daniel. Hi, James. Matt Davis-Adams also. Hi, James. And a de-bearded Carl Anker, or freshly shaven. Ahoy, hoy. Ahoy, hoy to you too, Carl. Uh, on the evening of Sunday, the 18th of April... At the conclusion of a weekend that's seen uh, drama in the Premier League and possibly less so in the uh, FA Cup. And also, boom, big news. There I was enjoying a gentle doze in front of Arsenal Fulham Sunday afternoon when news broke of a European Super League. You've probably seen the details. 20 clubs, 15 permanent members, all starting next summer. Crikey. Big English sides, along with big sides from Europe too, and reaction from fans overwhelmingly negative uh, various leagues and governing bodies threatening that the clubs will be thrown out of their existing competitions and the players will be banned from taking part in international tournaments woof all right uh, daniel i know you're fired up about this matt i can imagine that you are too carl spitting probably no i'm not fired up about it no uh, i mean on the face of it yes it's a horrendous proposal etc and so on but i remember first reading about this you know, in Shoot magazine over a bowl of strike cereal whilst listening to the Spice Girls uh, singing Wannabe 30 years ago. It happens every year, this does. Uh, there's a bit of brinkmanship. There's some minor tweaks to the Champions League. The clubs get more money. Right. And we all forget about it. This is game 39. This is Project Big Picture. I- I'm really not as wound up about it as everybody else. Uh, you say it happens every year. It's actually, this is the second time we've had this this season. So they're uh, they're stepping things up. Well, you read about it in Shoot. Uh, New York Times readers have been reading it in the pages of their favourite publication, courtesy of Tarek Panja, who was one of the first to break the story, actually, and joins us now. Uh, Tarek. Hi, James. Nice to be with you. All right, indeed. And uh, thank you so much, because I understand you're tearing yourself away from tonight's episode of Line of Duty to cover this story. Absolutely. Far more important to know who the mastermind is of that plot instead Mm. of this plot that we're going to be discussing uh, now, the Super League. Right. This isn't the first time that the notion has emerged. How serious is it this time and how serious are the threats of bans and exclusions for the clubs involved? I think this is the closest uh, football has come to a a European breakaway since this idea was first mooted in in, in the early 90s uh, when when Silvio Berlusconi et al. 
had started talking about it. Um, the plans are, are very well evolved. They've, they've, they're, they believe they're funded with JP Morgan, the bank providing debt financing. Uh, they have the rules of the, the game, as it were, all, all drafted, all drawn out. So in, the, in that sense, it's as close as it's ever been. And to your second point, what, what can the leagues do? I mean, uh, and UEFA, there have been furious calls between all the, all the parties involved. There have been calls to the European Union, to national governments, etc. Uh, and, and they're trying to come up with a plan. And one, one of the ideas is, look, if you're going to go away like this without any consultation and, and, and sort of seize control of your own destiny, that's fine. But we're going to boot you out of domestic competitions, which would be the national leagues, Premier League, uh, as far as English teams are concerned, Serie A for the Italians and La Liga for the Spanish. Uh, and, and your players will also not be able to play in World Cups and Euros and the like because um, the national FAs are with us. Uh, however, that's what they're saying. The issue is this. The Premier League, for example, is a um, you know, cash generator. It's a, it's, a, it's a cash machine that's been firing out uh, huge amounts of money every year since 1992. Much of that is because of the fact that they can count teams like Manchester United and Liverpool in particular, but also Arsenal, uh, Chelsea, etc. In, in that league. Now, if you tell them to go away, what does that do to the value of that competition? What will it do for t TV rights that have already been sold, etc.? So there is a huge amount of disquiet and concern all across European football right now. Mm. From the sound of it, you think that it, that it might actually happen this time? It's as close as we've ever come to having a Super League, you can say that. I mean, there's, whatever, whatever happens, relationships are, are broken um, at the top of European football for good here. One, one in particular, um, the Juventus president... Andrea Agnelli, he's also the president of the European Club Association that represents about 200 teams in the, in the top European league. Uh, if they were to break away, 90% of those clubs would not be anywhere near the Super League and it will destroy their value. So those clubs and the European uh, Club Association, as, as it is, is, for me, is dead. Then you're talking about the same Andrea Agnelli who sits on the UEFA um, Executive Committee, which is to decide tomorrow, let's not forget... Uh, the new Champions League, the 2024 Champions League with the 36 teams, the new model, etc. He's on that board. So expect him to be sacked tomorrow or resign. Um, and his relationship with UEFA president Alexander Seferin, uh, these two men were great friends. In fact, Seferin is the godfather to, to Agnelli's youngest child. That, that relationship is doomed and finished as well. As Agnelli undoubtedly knows, arguing with the godfather, not the greatest of plans uh, but the the move then happening now not in any way coincidental uh, no I, I, I think it's it's not coincidental timing because they want to usurp UEFA's own announcement about the Champions League tomorrow so hmm. that, that that's that's there but in terms of like brinksmanship and and you know uh, Russian roulette whatever analogy you want to use here I think the time for that was last week and the week before when these meetings reached kind of fever pitch in terms of the direct talks between the ECA and, and, and UEFA, for example, between club owners and, and executives in European football. But the thing is, I, I think I've always been been saying, always heard, that there's been this double game that's been going on for months. These The people who are pushing this plan, notably Real Madrid President Florentino Perez and a bunch of teams with American owners, uh, they had not given up. This was a twin track that was heading in this direction. Um, and all it needs is the key to turn, they think, and they're off. Um, in order to stave that off, they wanted huge concessions 
from, from UEFA, essentially a UEFA endorsed Super League by the sound of it. And you have to think, why would UEFA do that for them, for the bunch of um, already the richest teams in the world, whereas they represent continent-wide uh, football, both um, at club level and, and um, at federation level. It, it, it's kind of an issue of governance. Maybe we were always heading here, but we're, we're here now. It, mm. it just shows maybe the structures that have um, underpinned uh, world football and European football for, for decades are perhaps no longer fit for purpose. All right, and they, they'd like... Uh, these American owners, and as you say, Florentino Perez as well, uh, a more American league model of, say, the NBA, etc. Okay, so you think Agnelli's going to, in some way, uh, go or resign on Monday? And broadly speaking, do you think that in two years' time we will be looking at the ESL? I know that it's hard to say, but where do you think this road is going to take us in the short term? Uh, into acrimony, legal action, um you know, lots of lots of fierce fighting politically in, in, in football. Like it's the genie, I think, is out of the bottle with this, and it's not like the other ones. I, like I said, I think this one is so firmly developed, and also I think there's so much bad blood because these guys who are backing this have been speaking with both sides of their mouth. On one hand, talking to UEFA, and, and you know, Ed Woodward, for example, from Manchester United, he sat on a UEFA committee just last week that gave unanimous support to the Champions League reforms. And you've got to wonder, how can he do that at the same time as doing this? There is a fracture here that's going to be hard to put back together, whether this this happens or not. Um, and one of the backdrops here, two of the backdrops of pandemic here, the finances of, of, of clubs across um, Europe, big and small, are in, in ruins and perhaps taking advantage of that. And the other thing, in terms of opposition and protest, one of the biggest protest groups potentially would have been fans inside the stadiums, um, not those who watch TV, but the most, most match-going supporters seem to vehemently oppose any plan like this, but they're not in the stadium. So uh, there's, there's, they've been allowed to do their work quietly. And, and even if uh, this comes to pass, say tomorrow, it will take some time in order to, you know, to cross the T's and dot the I's, as it were, to get the games on the pitch. But in that time, when a fan's going to return, what protest's going to be like, etc., that whole movement hasn't hasn't been able to put itself um, together yet, apart from you know on Zoom like the rest of us. Mm. All right, significantly less effective, right? Okay, Tarek, thank you so much then for that update, and uh, good luck with the the rest of the evening's investigations. Thanks, James. I hope we get to to a conclusion on both matters. Tarek Panja of the New York Times. Crikey, Matt, you still so sanguine about it then? A little less now. It would be rather churlish to be, I think, when somebody's investigated it so thoroughly comes up with that amount of evidence. But yeah, there's still 30 years of precedent, you know, to my argument. So maybe I'm more more hopeful than um, than certain. Well, one of the big obstacles seems to be the notion that on an individual level, players couldn't take part in tournaments, but the clubs would be kicked out of, say, the Premier League or, as Tarek says, Serie A, etc. However... Do we genuinely think that the Premier League would take action like that to remove six of its bigger, or, or even do points deductions, for example, against some of its biggest attractions? I, I suspect those statements were were deliberately emphatic um, and damning um, because they 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 see what these clubs are doing as a uh, probably as a game of brinkmanship and as an attempted power grab away from them, and therefore they wanted to fight fire with fire and said, well. You know, we also you send one of ours to the hospital. We'll send one of yours to the more kind of, um, you know, attempt. So I suspect it, it was that. I, I mean, I, they will clearly push for as much as they can and and try and be as strong as they can. But I mean, my one 
slight regret from those statements was that they they threatened the legal action or full punishment if if they went ahead with the plan what i would have liked them to do is to say not only will we threaten this punishment but we also will threaten punishment if you do not make a full retraction of your um your um you know your ideals or your attempts because if, if if Matt is right, and this is just a game of brinkmanship and they end up getting more broadcast control in the Champions League, which is, is as I understand, is the, the thing they really want, um, then it, it, it feels like a kind of half with Tarek and half with Matt in that if this goes through, it is disastrous for football. And we're occasionally hyperbolic about what disaster means in football, inappropriately so, but this would be calamitous for the game. But the the mere attempt is is bad enough mm. if this is just mm-hmm. an attempt that's still something that should be you know it's still deplorable and it's still in my mind should be punished it shouldn't just be a if you do this you should be punished because otherwise they will just come back in a year's time and do exactly the same thing as as indeed they have been doing yes season after season loads of listeners writing in about this trevor hp one of many supporting uh, gary neville's uh, heartfelt comments on a sky that the six premier league sides should be dock points whether it is a bit hard for a breakaway league to dock team's points for joining a breakaway league is, is a, it, it's a kind of slightly more philosophical point. Johan van Bergervan says, is there any point UEFA trying to stop the Super League? It's clear and obvious ploy to grab more power. Call their bluff, says Johan. I want clubs to realise they're nothing without sport, competition and players. Ian Herbert of the same opinion. If the 14 don't call the bluff of the six now, where does this farce end? Jam Tarshan says, my wife thinks the new European effort is a natural extension of the EPL. I'll be glad if it happens. Local will become king again. Interested in your panel's views. Krish, a meanwhile from America, is curious about whether there's any kind of involvement from players' associations or any players' voice in these kind of decisions. Huh. As far as I know, not. What What? what do you think, Carl? It's a disgrace. We're seeing players take pay cuts to protect staff we were seeing clubs do work in the community to support those in need and i thought hello we're talking about parachute payments for for those lower down in the football league we're talking about the player union was being mentioned we were seeing football players actively aware of the fact they were in a union i thought hey this might be it we might see a fairer more egalitarian version of the game and and now what we have is just more rampant boring hyper capitalism by creatively dull people who when they're giving a choice between protecting those who want some entertainment and just their own pathetic, boring interest in making money. And it, it is boring, right? You're making more money to what end other than to have more money that you mm. cannot spend within your lifetime. Well, it's, I, don't, I don't personally have any objection to them making money. No, I think it's the manner in which they do it and the fact that, you know, like Mike says, we've been doing this for 30 years now right. of the rich kids threatening to take their ball and go home. I remember when we were calling it the, the Phoenix League and we were talking about possibly integrating the old firm teams. There has to be a point where UEFA or whatever party is involved is going, if you want to take your ball and go home, go away. Right. You have it, to go away. Is the biggest difference, though, this time, and people make comparisons with the dawn of the Premier League itself, but is the biggest difference this time the fact that they have just cast out any notion of competition having a role in sport, that there will be no relegation for the 15? I think it's different this time, partly because of the pandemic. 
I have no huge problem with the bad guys being the bad guys. I have the pr- a problem when the bad guys are the bad guys while simultaneously pretending to be the good guys and pretending to be your mate. That's my issue with this. It's that football has come down this incredible this this journey of rampant commercialization of which you can frown at or you can jump on board with. But this notion that the the club are are with you you know Liverpool is the mm-hmm. obvious example this kind of this means more and the fans really bought into that and I think it genuinely helped how that team performed over a couple of seasons and I think if you ask Jurgen Klopp he would agree with you and I think the players would as well but that this means more loses all weight as anything more than just marketing blurb if the same club is then without consultation going to then embark on this uber project that of which the fans get very little um, appreciable benefit and and the club take them on that journey through coercion and, and effectively you know emotional blackmail and therefore force that's my big issue with it I, if Liverpool cared or if other the other clubs had come out and gone this is what we want to do um, sorry and your shirts cost 60 quid and your tickets are going to cost 100 quid this is how it is they're the bad guys fine but don't do that while also saying you know this club has existed because supporters have been so close to it and we are at one with our city and all this you know i don't want to have charlie bleeping anything but it is bollocks it's absolute bollocks if you don't then um you don't then act in a way in in accordance with those principles sorry about that listener yeah no but it's serious times (laughs) daniel's completely right when fsg bought liverpool they were worth around about i think fsg purchased Liverpool for 330 million and now the sum is around two to three billion according to estimates this is we understand we are in the money spinning game and the money making game I'm not going to just pick on Liverpool here because the team I support and the team I was watching on Sunday are involved in this Um, and it is it's a nonsense it is a genuine nonsense from these groups to I mean if you look at the history of these football clubs Right. right. These these football clubs are meant to be places of community where in, in these cities you used to have a church, a factory, and the football club where people used to meet. Mm. And to so cravenly detach the history of your club and place it in a Super League and then to pretend it's about competition, right. that it's about some sort of iron sharpening iron experiment when it's nothing of the sort. This is just to protect relegation and promotion. And honestly to protect the rank inadequacies and silliness of these clubs for 25 years. Some of these clubs have had every single financial advantage Mm. afforded to them, thanks to their history, and they still couldn't get their act together to qualify for the Champions League. So rather than get their act together, they decided, we're going to cheat. Pathetic. Which is, as you say, the dichotomy of the the public stance and the messages and the the brand and the, the, the way that the mentality that's clearly there if this is the kind of thing that they think is a good idea but isn't that something that happened the the, the second you let uh, international owners who are there with leverage buyouts and all that kind of thing isn't this something just a natural consequence of of the ownership uh, changes that we've seen in England but across Europe now and it's no coincidence that with the possible exception of Real Madrid it's the same clubs who are basically going yeah well this is the the outcome of our strategy that's an obfuscation of what's going on. Just, be, just because something is just one in a range of motions does not mean at one of these motions you can say, no, stop, too much, go back. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, look, 
I'm not going to reveal my too much of my political thoughts, but capitalism. Ah, rah, 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 rah. I understand that there is a point where I've willingly partaken in the enjoyment of the game in a way that perhaps 25 years ago others would this would describe as similarly a disgrace. I non-ironically refer to it as Gazprom. However, there must be a point which you, in which you can stop, and I think this is a very very good one. I think this is beyond the pale. Would you like to throw out the six from the Premier League and have, say, West Ham and Leicester go into the Champions League, etc.? I wouldn't like to do that, but I'd like to see some sort of, rather than acts of cowardice from those who've perpetrated this, don't put Ole Gunnar Solskjaer up in front of the cameras to, to answer a question about it, because that's not fair on him and he can't give a reasonable answer about it. You know, I'm sure that somebody from Manchester United could have passed comment on it if they wanted to. And I also don't like the comparisons with the formation of the Premier League and people saying, well, this is chickens coming home to roost. This was inevitable from the time the Premier League started because there was always relegation and promotion in the Premier League. There was always money kicked back down to the lower divisions. And the Premier League was born out of necessity because English football was in crisis at the time that it happens because of rampant hooliganism and, and things like Hillsborough and Heisel. And English football needed a rebrand and a total image overhaul. And that's just not the case here. It's just hmm. rich people wanting to get richer. I'd also like to say that the, the, there's a slightly simplified argument of kind of kick them out. Um, that would be very nice on a kind of moral level. But the reality is, is that English professional football does rely on those kickdowns from the Premier League. And the reason those kickdowns are available is because of the success of those biggest clubs globally. Um, the reality is, is a Premier League without those clubs you know we we had a report this week that a championship was club was spending 206% of its revenue on player wages alone or staff wages alone like this isn't sustainable without those clubs quite frankly and i'd argue it's not sustainable now right it, you, you can't fix capitalism by doing more capitalism yeah but if if those clubs then go then the it, you know, you might get. Let's say you get a, a late Orient fan that says, "Kick them out." Great, I agree with them on a, on some moral standpoint. But if that means that their club then doesn't exist in three years' time, it gets a little bit more messy than that morally. It's a lot less black and white than we'd like it to be. I think. Mm. Um, so far, I think. I mean, as I say, we're we're talking about this on Sunday night. It's possible there'll have been other announcements or other dimensions that will emerge overnight. Uh, but so far, the reaction has been, I think, 100% negative. Do you think that that's actually only a very narrow part of the kind of footballing audience's likely reaction in the long term? That there would actually be a lot of people who would just go, OK, brilliant. We'll get Real Madrid against uh, whoever, Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah, I've, seen quite f- I've seen slightly unfairly this kind of accusation that oh, well, fans, global fans around the world, you know, fans in Asia and Africa, they will lap it up. From my experience, that form of of fandom, when it does verge onto tribalism and kind of extreme fandom, generally is a, a more extreme replica or mimic of what domestic fans think. So it's in a kind of attempt to prove yourself as a supporter while also li- living thousands of miles away. Mm. I don't think they would completely veer in the opposite direction from what match going and domestic fans would think so i don't kind of buy into that i think they they would probably have the same reaction okay uh here's a tweet from sean stallard who says has anyone on the pod ever broken away from something successful for, for purely selfish or commercial reasons <laughs> well, we've, we've run out of time on this chat um next up 
FA Cup. So it's the business end of the season and we need some results quickly. Welcome to the Liverpool Q2 offside. Let's brainstorm. Hendo. Well, I spoke to HR and they've got spare training and development budget. How about a new training ground? We tried that, it's too windy. Robbo. Uh, how about we reward good performances? Oh, for, no idea is a bad idea. Let's uh, let's take it offline, yeah? Trent. Well, Gareth won't pick me. And, uh, I need results, not excuses. Yes, Liverpool need results, but have they left it too late? Check out the Paddy Power site for the latest top four markets. Paddy Power. 18 plus, begumbleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. FA Cup, ooh, quite possibly the antithesis of the European Super League and that it's traditional and it's absolutely not elitist. Anyone can play in it. have to say for all that, the FA Cup didn't make the greatest advert for, you know, the old old ways with the two semi-finals. Uh, this weekend. Two 1-0 victories, one for Chelsea over Man City, the other for Leicester over Saints. Leicester thus in the FA Cup final for the first time since 1969. Chelsea will be making their 15th FA Cup final appearance when the two teams meet on the 15th of May, which is when, curiously, they were due to meet in the Premier League anyway. So they'll have to reschedule that. Although, I think they could just make it count for both and then Save themselves a lot of bother. Mm, I think I think Adam Hurry will be hoping that it's rescheduled for before the final, so that we can get the dress rehearsal for the final, which is always um, right. Nice. Oh yes, right. <laughs> so Sunday evening, uh, just prior to us uh, uniting for this podcast, saw Leicester's one 0 win over Saints, uh, which your dog enjoyed, Matthew. Uh, yeah, I mean, whatever he was dreaming about was more <laughs> more uh, <laughs> enjoyable uh, than that turgid ninety minutes of football. I oh. think. So just the one <laughs> shot on target. It was from Kilechi Ianacho. Who... Ianacho, that's right, James. Ianacho, not Ian Nacho, not Iniacho, Ianacho. Yeah, Glenn? All listening? right, so the European Super League, you weren't bothered about that, but pronounce Kilechi's <laughs> name wrong. <laughs> Straight fire, yeah. Fair enough. All right, so what happened apart from the goal in this? Not much. Southampton were very timid against a foe they have some recent bad blood with. There might have been a high-scoring game once that they don't want to talk about too much. Uh, Southampton went with their you know, their typical 4-2-2-2 shape, and it's all about what they do against the ball and how they close off spaces for a city side that normally, when they play against Ralph Hassan or Southampton, uh, try and alternate balls from one side of the pitch to the other very quickly and do rapid counterattacks. Um, the first half was very rigid quite dull the second half was Jamie Vardy eventually getting lucky in that one channel he was occupying throughout the game so Jan Begnerat went in for that very aggressive tackle he goes for sometimes Vardy got past it sprung the leak got the ball to Iannaccio and there's your goal what followed was a, a lack of control and a lack of ambition from a Southampton team that looks either knackered or somewhat disinterested in their own previous processes. Uh, that was one of the poorer games I've seen from Danny Ings in recent time. It was. 
Ian Acho's goal, and I'm really self-conscious about saying that now, Matt. Um, <laughs> it was the first goal that Saints have conceded in the FA Cup this season. That's extraordinary. What a time to concede your first goal, just when you're poised to get into <laughs> Could have become steals to steal the commentary stat. Could have come the first team since Berry in 1903 to win the FA Cup without conceding. Crikey. All right. Said that in a suitably dry voice. Sorry. <laughs> 4,000 supporters were at Wembley for the game, which is a nice thing to see, unlike the font that Leicester had on the back of their shirts, eh, Matt? Dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. Might as well have gone with Comic Sans. Right. <laughs> OK. Uh, meantime, on Saturday, Chelsea and Man City. People are excited over the notion of seeing them face off every week. I might want to think again after this encounter at Wembley. 1-0. Uh, not a great game, but Matt, this was a great result for Chelsea, though. Beating City. Beating City with Kepa. Yeah, absolutely. And and Kepper actually made one good save. I mean, I thought it was um interesting that, that Pep Guardiola bristled so in his in his pre match interview when he was asked about playing Zach Stefan and said, Well, I always play the second choice goalkeeper in domestic cup competitions and, and yeah. Maybe wishing that he hadn't because his rush of blood to the head for the goal was, was quite an extraordinary thing. But Chelsea were were I wouldn't say they were terrific, but they were they're so solid and, and you know, they they can they can just kill an opposition's momentum at, at any time at the moment, it seems, with the notable exception of Sam Allardyce's West Brom, of <laughs> Indeed course. Indeed so. Um, Ju- well, Julian Aron's pointing out that in three months at Chelsea, Tuchel has now beaten Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, Diego Simeone twice, Jose Mourinho and Carlo Ancelotti, six games, and without conceding a single goal in any of those encounters. Everyone agreed that he had a shrewd plan to deal with Pep in this. W- what exactly was it? I'm not sure how much of a of a shrewd plan it was, a, a, as much of the the result of well, you know, some good planning on on his part, and and a big part of that has been turning to experienced defenders. I think it shouldn't be be underestimated the the impact that somebody like Cesar Aspilicueta's had in um, in the time that that Tuchel's been there. But but more of it was just City looking absolutely exhausted, which I think was totally understandable given that they'd had well 24 hours less preparation than Chelsea, but also a delayed flight getting back, and and you know he'd made those eight changes didn't particularly work and and you had people like De Bruyne before he'd even before he'd gone off entirely ineffective to to a point that I'd never seen before and Raheem Sterling who just looks completely shot of all kind of confidence and form hmm. uh, and Chelsea were able to in fairness they were able to use the the pace of Werner um, to really good effect here which they hadn't that I always think that combined with the industry of Mount is a, is a really good weapon in, in Chelsea's arsenal and and actually, Werner and Ziyech together have always looked pretty good too. And then you've got Jorginho and Kante. And Kante, as we know, as, as Martin Keown said, is one and a half players. Um, and he'd taken the place of Kovacic, who's been really good for Chelsea of late. But but if you've got Kante in there against a team like City and you can kind of stomp out that midfield and, and him and Jorginho, you know, totally got the better of Fernandinho and, and Rodri, who both looked like they were, they were walking through treacle for most of the game. So, mm. yeah, I don't know if that's really an answer, but that's how they won. It's a pretty all-encompassing <laughs> one. You touch on many points there. A couple of listeners writing in about Raheem Sterling's current crisis of form. John Sands, after another disappointing performance in the Cup semi, is Sterling in danger of losing his England starting eleven position? If so, who is the most likely recipient of it? Foden? Question mark. Ryan Clayton, meantime. Can we float the idea of Raheem Sterling going on loan to West Ham to get his form back on track? I love <laughs> Sterling, which makes his recent performances all the more frustrating. Yeah, he looks. He does look short of confidence. We he, we also should say he, he's got a contract that's not yet signed, and 
you know, I don't know whether part of the reason he's been kind of on the fringes is because Guardiola would like him to sign that. There was, you know, Sunday morning brought reports of Real Madrid interest. And um, he's always been a player who is at his best when everything else is kind of all his other ducks are in a, in a row and he can just kind of just concentrate on, on playing football. Um, and it, it has in the past seemed to knock him when he's been on the bench for for big games, which it's kind of caused a, it's a hard one for Guardiola because if he's not quite at it, you might want to give him a rest. But as soon as you give him a rest, that can kind of threaten to almost double down on the issue because then he, he when he struggles for confidence, it's very obvious with Raheem. Um, but he's not the only one. I mean, Fern Torres didn't look great. Gabriel Jesus had one of those Gabriel Jesus games. And um, yeah, he might regret making eight changes, but if, if they then go and win the League Cup final next next weekend and and win at Villa in the week which we should say the Premier League title now isn't suddenly isn't done and dusted so mm. I suspect that kind of shaped his team selection okay eight points the gap with seven matches to go which is the exact same margin that Man United had over Man City back in 2012 and we all know how that turned mm. out how worried though beyond the league and the League Cup should Guardiola be with say PSG uh, on the horizon uh, and Kevin De Bruyne going off with an ankle injury. What's the? How serious is that? He said it's Guardiola said it's not good. He, he's he's slightly getting that Harry Kane reputation now, where you wince every time he, he he goes to ground with De Bruyne. His knocks do seem to last a while. Uh, he doesn't seem to have knocks that he then immediately comes back the next game. So yes, it's a huge worry uh, ahead of PSG because I think PSG were the team that City feared most, maybe even more than Bayern. I think I think they hate the idea of having this kind of fluid front three roaming round rather than a centre-forward like Haaland, who they, they dealt with pretty effectively and maybe would have done the same with Lewandowski. Mm. Was it City's worst performance of the season? This I've, I've seen it described as such. Nah, I feel it was overly harsh, but um, they did not start the season well. I think this was just... Thomas Tuchel doing well with Chelsea. They, they they denied space in the areas where Manchester want to play well. And, uh, you know, this solidity Thomas Tuchel's brought to Chelsea, they're so much better off the ball than they were at the start of the season. They nearly always have four men behind the ball at all times. And when one of those men is typically in goal, I can say, job's a good one. Okay. And this is a team that had lost 3-1 just a few months ago to City. Under the, uh, you know, the hapless boo-boo was in, in charge before. Uh, no Tammy Abraham in the Chelsea squad. Matt, what's the update on that? No, and uh, this is really the one criticism I, I can make of Tuchel so far, because other than Tammy Abraham, and, and I mean, you could potentially say Billy Gilmore, but he's a young player. It's been much more of a meritocracy than, than it seemed to be under Frank Lampard. It, everybody in the squad has, has had a go. Maybe not Giroud so much, but but he's had his opportunity. And, and Abraham hasn't. But, but that said, the last game that he played for Chelsea, which was away at Southampton, he got subbed off at half-time and he was dreadful in that game. Um, and clearly that's made an impression. I think it's harsh, personally, but I do think he is slightly below the standard required to be the leading striker for Chelsea. But then when have Chelsea ever had one of those? You know, in, in, Didier since Drogba? Didier Drogba, hmm. probably, probably not since then. Not, not somebody who can really boss that position. But it's worth pointing out that Tammy Oof. Abraham... Oh, poor Diego Costa. Oh, uh, OK. Yeah, I'll give you Diego Costa. <laughs> um, but Tammy Abraham is Chelsea's top scorer this season. You know, so it's quite a thing to dis- discard him in, in this way. But, but if you look at it practically, 
He uh, started with a three with Werner in the middle, had Havertz as the replacement for the for the false nine role, and had Giroud on the bench as well. So, just in terms of numbers, it doesn't add up that there would be a place for Tammy Abraham. But I think, unfortunately, his future will lie away from Stamford Bridge, assuming that Thomas Tuchel is is Chelsea manager for for a little while. Yeah, and you know he. he he could go to Leicester in the summer and he could get 15 goals in the Premier League next season, I have no doubt. But it doesn't look like it's going to happen for him at Chelsea, which is a great shame because, you know, he's been there since he was eight and he's come all the way through. He's won youth cups and UEFA youth leagues. And, and as I say, he's the club's top scorer. So he deserves a, a bit of respect, but I can't see him playing much between now and the end of the season. I see. All right, well, 15th of May, the FA Cup final. We'll see Chelsea against Leicester. Man City, meanwhile, had better luck, Matt, in the... A women's FA Cup with a 8-0 victory over Aston Villa. They'll be talking about that in the Offside Rule WSL edition, which is out on Tuesday. I imagine they'll find some space. Uh, also for the big Women's Champions League news from Sunday. Crikey, Matt. Yeah, ginormous. Um, Leon out, having lost to PSG, uh, lost second leg 2-1. So they go out on, on away goals 2-2, the aggregate score. Uh, they won the they've won the women's champions league seven times um and including in each of the last four seasons and it was kind of a sort of i don't know illustrative or, or i'm searching for a better word carl will be able to find one that it was wendy renard who scored the own goal which knocked them out the captain the player who's been there for all of those triumphs and 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 just this feeling that you know a giant of european football was was crumbling a little bit i mean psg did beat leon in the league uh, last month, so it's not a total shock this result. But but if you'd said at the start of the season that they wouldn't be involved in the semi final, nobody would have believed you. And I think it's really really good for women's football. I think it'll bring a lot more eyes onto the last four of the Champions League because you know there's a cigarette paper between the four teams who are left in it in terms of quality. Any of them could win it. It's really really exciting. So I think it's a big moment. Um, you know, it's been a, it's been a bit kind of. In the past, the Women's Champions League, football's a simple game. 22 women chase a ball and at the end of it, Leon wins. So if there's, there's an end to that and, and a new name on, on the trophy, then that, that can only be, um, only be a good thing, I think. Brilliant stuff. All right, next up, we're on to Premier League. We're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Totally Football League shows out on Monday. A show that Norwich won't be part of next season, Matt. 
Yeah, promotion confirmed just as we've expected um, for weeks and weeks for them. They've been, as you would expect, having been promoted in April by far and away the outstanding team mm. in the division um, this season. I really hope that uh, it looks like Watford are going up as well. I think it'd be a bit of a shame if Bournemouth did too, but I think that that would kind of be an Why? inevitable consequence. Just you because you hate Bournemouth? It, yeah, obviously, we know that. <laughs> Absolutely hate Bournemouth. Uh, I was glad to see them relegated last season. I can't season. believe you just came out and said that. I mean, we all thought, <laughs> no. We've heard you saying that off air, but just to boldly and boldly... You know, it's, it's, no, cherries. it's not. Look, if Bournemouth go up, great. Although I think it would be very strange to to have done it in the way that they do it. And I certainly don't buy into the, the little club mentality because they've got an awful lot of money behind them. But the the thing that the Championship has suffered from this year is, is obviously pandemic related. We know how big parachute payments are in the Championship. Um, well, those three clubs got that money. Everybody else lost most of their money. And not just the fact that they had that extra money, but, you know, the likes of Norwich, people didn't come in for Pookie and Wendia and mm. Todd Campwell because nobody had any money to spend. So they were able to keep their, their squads together. Bournemouth have kept Dominic Solanke and Arno Danjuma, who've, who've both hit, I think, 14, 15 goals in the Championship this season. Watford have kept Ismail Assar. He's far too good to be playing in the Championship. And that's, um, that's a big reason why those three might go up again. Daniel Norwich have become the first club to have six different spells in the Premier League. Will this one go any better? Well, this was always the, the intention. Um, they were, Norwich were relegated almost by design last season. and that they, they didn't spend any money when they got there. They got 21 points and lost the last 10 league games and yet still didn't sack the manager because this was kind of part of the plan to come back better and stronger. And to their credit, Matt's right about you know the various caveats um, to pouring all the praise on them. But they have kept the same structure in place. They have kept those same young players and, and persuaded them that they would go up again. And they've done it with absolute style. And they will be better placed for it. I I don't quite buy into this idea that that same squad will be better enough to stay up because I don't think it was that Norwich weren't trying in the first half of last season. They were just getting beaten. Uh, so I think they will have to spend this time and that will be hard in in. Covid times, but yeah, they won't get twenty-one points again. Again, I don't think. Mm. If you don't want Bournemouth coming up, Matt, who did you want out of the playoff teams? <laughs> um, Brentford would be my pick because okay. they they play just beautiful football. Carl they're, likes that one. Yeah, they're a, yeah. they're a, a well-run club. They're interesting. Barnsley would be good too because they've been sensational, but they're they're tailing off a little bit. But but Norwich, they're looking at Burnley, aren't they? From a few years ago, came down, kept with Sean Dyche, went straight back up again. Been there ever since. I think that's what that's the model that they'll be looking mm. to, to replicate, right. if not on the pitch. Okay. Meanwhile, Sheffield United are down. That's now done and dusted after their one 0 defeat at Wolves. Uh, and Newcastle's 3-2 win with West Ham. Also uh, down, of course, in, in the uh, relegation thick of it. Fulham, who had last-minute heartbreak with Arsenal. We'll come on to that game in a second or two. Sheffield United's relegation is the joint earliest in terms of what round of the season we're at in Premier League history. 32 games in, which is uh, level with Derby and Huddersfield. They could still break the Premier League record for most defeats in a season, which is currently on 29. They are on 26 defeats. They have six more opportunities to lose. Uh, the four games that are necessary for them to set a new low. Uh, yeah. Are Newcastle now safe, by the way? They're eight points clear of the bottom three. Carl? Yeah, it's done. Okay. What did you make of their 3-2 win over West Ham? It was lively. It was error-strewn. What did you think? Gleefully silly. The 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 proper sort of early kickoff ridiculousness that we, we switched television on for. Uh, it's just 
remarkable, remarkable mm. game. Alan Sun Maximan makes that team so much fun. And I think that was one of the big complaints, not only for other reasons why we complain about Newcastle, but on a stylistic reason, Newcastle had have the potential in terms of personnel to be so much more fun. And when Alan Sun Maximan is in there being a ball carrier, able to create chances like that, he it 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 does become nice, sir, mm. to watch. Um, I think one thing with West Ham is Mark Noble should not have the keys to that midfield anymore. Uh, they are definitely suffering for an injury to Declan Rice. And while Mark Noble is continuing his hardest and will want to play another more season, no, I don't think he should be the starting option for a team with Champions League aspirations. Mark Noble's inclusion, of course, not unconnected with the injury crisis that's currently enveloping uh, West Ham, uh, Declan Rice out of the picture uh, Mikel Antonio Cresswell, Masuaku, and uh, Jesse Lingard, who with with the penalty scored his his ninth goal for West Ham in ten games, making it his highest scoring season ever in just ten games. He went off though with an injury as well. What what's the story there? Yeah, the 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 still waiting on news of that. It kind of feels like a sort of West Ham Champions League top four game of kaplunk in that how many players one a week can you take out of the team until all the marbles crash to the floor and they they finish somehow finish outside even the top six and I think Cresswell's the massive one because yes Declan Rice gives them that solidity but um, Cresswell's chance creation this season have been it's been phenomenal and they just yeah I mean if you take out Ogbonna, Cresswell and Rice and Antonio um, you know that team was already punching way above its weight and, and it was already a small squad because Moyes had moved on the players who he clearly didn't really fancy anymore. So, mm. yeah, just one of those days, I think. I should say, I mean, they did come back. With, yeah. You know, they barely gave Newcastle a kick for half an hour with 10 men. So, so the the way it began was was, was curious with the, the Issa Jop, Yossa Hughes' favourite player, and, and, and Lucas Fabianski having that moment of confusion, and then Fabianski throwing one in his own net, which I imagine that it's all fruit of the kind of general air of nerves with the, the thinning squad. But after they'd gone 2-0 down, they came roaring back. And at the end, I, I don't know if they ran out of gas. Matt, what do you think? Yeah, possibly. I mean, I sense the propensity for calamity from West Ham was there early on when um, David Moyes was speaking to his assistant and went to put his hand over his mouth so nobody could hear what he was saying and ended up putting it to the side of his mouth whilst looking directly into the television camera <laughs> and giving away what he was saying. <laughs> thought, mm, this this might not go so great. Um, but I'm going to be at, at London Stadium next Saturday when, okay. they, uh, when they play Chelsea, which is obviously a massive game now and uh, Chelsea got a game to play uh, before then. But, but as Daniel says, it, injuries are just going to do for West Ham, unfortunately, I think. And they had done brilliantly to get back into the game. And, and it will be particularly galling that, that the winner from, from Joe Willett came so quickly after they had got it back to 2-2. And it does feel like a little bit like the um, Nketiah goal on, on Sunday against Fulham, that there are certain things that happen in seasons where you think, ah, that's a definitive moment. And, right. and that felt like that. Well, West Ham could be uh, sixth by the time they face uh, Chelsea, if Chelsea win their game on Tuesday, when they'll be hosting Brighton and indeed Liverpool uh, are victorious on Monday when they journey to Ellen Road. That Arsenal-Fulham game then, Cottagers who'd never won away at Arsenal in 29 previous attempts, they were seconds away from doing so here. It was the 96th minute, up comes Matt Ryan, gets his head on it, and uh, Eddie Nketiah pops up and, and, and bosh. Heartbreaking, although, to be fair, were they had, had they been good enough for the win? That, that was their only shot on target, the penalty, I think. Right. And how, how did you feel about the penalty, anybody? Yeah, I think he probably stood on his toe 
Alan Smith on, on commentary was kind of said, oh, it probably wasn't, but you can't overturn it. But I think he probably stood on his toe. It was a good penalty, although I, I do like a, play, a, a penalty where a player uh, has to kind of double take to check it's gone in because he's clearly very worried about it missing, particularly with Fulham's penalty record. I mm-hmm. think they were lucky to be ahead. You know, there was a really, there was a toenail offside on Saka. Arsenal kind of overplayed it a little bit, but probably had the better of the game. And Fulham, that seven points dropped in the last 15 minutes of games in the last three. So, yeah, I think that's them done. That's them done. Uh, Arsenal, who were described, was Roy Keane's description, dearie me. They got through in the Europa League in style on Thursday. But the interesting thing about that, having seen off Slavia Prague 4-0 away in Prague, is that next up you'll get the direct head-to-head, not just on the stats page, but actually... On the pitch, or at least on the sideline, between Unai Emery and his Villarreal and Mikel Arteta. Crikey. And stop me if you've heard this one before, but Lacazette going off injured in this one. What's the story with that? Mm, he's one of those one of those where he went down and even as he was falling down was signalling to the bench that he needed to come off, which is not a particularly good sign. Just as he was getting back into some form as well. So yeah, they do have a, they've got a little bit of a, a kind of striker crisis in that Pierre Aubameyang has malaria and is in hospital and, and Lacazette's obviously injured. But I thought Martinelli was really good again. I really like watching him. He he drives directly at players in a way that no Arsenal other Arsenal striker seems fit to do or is told to do. So, yeah, I think they'll be fine. And Saka and Smith-Rowe again integral, which is good. Having said that, obviously, they did just draw 1-1 at home to Fulham. All right, then. Let's move on, then. Let's have a quick breather and then come roaring back with something a bit more exciting. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Listener, it's the 19th of April, probably. On this day, in the year 2000, it was Man United, Real Madrid in the Champions League. Remember that? That old competition they used to have? Anyway, what was this? The last 16, I think it was, when Fernando Redondo did that thing to Henningberg. Taking on Henningberg. Skill from the Argentinian international. Still Redondo. It's Raul. Raul walking away with it. Carl, you'd have been about what three? Do you remember this? <laughs> Vaguely. Really? I was not allowed to watch the second. I was not allowed to watch the second half of uh, Champions League games as a child. So right. when I got half time, I had to go to bed, and my dad would just simply explain what happened over my breakfast. And that's how I grew up hating Rudy Voller because my dad disliked him. I just like absorb his tales. <laughs> I see, I see. All right, well, for your benefit and anyone else who hasn't seen this, but I imagine you must have watched this loads of times since because it's it's one of the most famous bits of Champions League It's a skills. fantastic goal. Right. A fantastic bit of football. Yeah, Alex Ferguson made many compliments in the way he, he often did when his teams were soundly beaten. The boy must have magnets in his feet. But it wasn't actually the fact that the ball was attracted to his foot. It was it was the way that he slid it. He did a backheel nutmeg, no, at full, well, while gliding down the flank with supposedly no escape route. 
kind of back heel flicks it between Henningberg's legs, goes round him and collects it and then finds uh, Raul and, and Bosch. That was, what, 3-0. United came back to make it 3-2. But anyway, a few months later, Berg would leave Old Trafford. Not sure what happened after that, but anyway. There you go. Look it up if you've not seen it. Listener, of course, you're familiar with it. But just in case you weren't, it is a thing of beauty. 21 years later, uh, this Sunday saw visitors not from the Bernabeu, but from Burnley. Huh? Uh, in a 3-1 <laughs> win for United. Oh, but it did feature more nutmegs, didn't it, Carl? It did. Uh, Marcus Rashford helping open the scoring w- with a nutmeg. Uh, Marcus Rashford now leads Europe's top five leagues with nutmegs. Uh, How it's many? him, Neymar. I will get the FB ref stats up. Neymar's got it in 10 fewer games, which I think is hilarious. Uh, comment on his on-the-ball skill due to some injuries for him. So Neymar has... I feel like Neymar might care about that as well. Neymar <laughs> has 14 not... <laughs> Uh, yeah, Neymar has 14 nutmegs and Rashford now has, has 18. This carries on from a little coaching principle Manchester United seem to be doing right now called working the space. So very often you might see if Marcus or Manchester United play against teams in the bottom half of the Premier League, they tend to have opposition players who can get touch tight to him and try and get quite aggressive to him before he gets a couple of touches on the ball. What often happens is a bit later on, often in the second half, he will attempt the nutmeg. Um, and lo and behold, got the nutmeg, burst into space, gets the cross in. This was a really, a nibbly first half, a much better second half. Again, thanks to Ellison Cavani coming in. Because this Manchester United team have aspirations of being able to put together good passing triangles and diamonds, but often lack that bit of shape that comes from Cavani coming in and going, I'm going to move this way and do this and do this. Um, something that was also interesting was even though Donny van der Beek came on in the 84th minute. He came on in his favourite position on the 10. Bruno Fernandes moved out to the left, which I think is an interesting wrinkle. It's this sort of thing of the systems that Solskjaer wants to bring to this United team are becoming clearer and clearer as things go on. And now you're wondering if they can just get the holding midfielder they need. Um, if they can just make sure Paul Pogba and Cavani can stay over the summer. If they can just get a proper orthodox right winger. They, they are going to be Champions League contenders. Uh, and the director uh, of football. Don't forget the director of football. <laughs> there is a football director, which is uh, yeah. charming. <laughs> I, I was going to ask you whether you enjoyed uh, Rashford's nutmeg more than uh, Bruno putting the ball through his own legs uh, <laughs> in, in the same move. I, I do love it when, I, when a player leaves it for the player behind them to get the finish. So I'll, I'll, give, it, I'll give it to Bruno this time because I've seen... Uh, Marcus nutmeg a fullback and get a goal for himself earlier in the season. Sorry, Marcus. A word for Mason Greenwood as well. He feels like he's had a really stop-start season, but he he's now got 15 Premier League goals. The most by a teenager in Premier League history is Michael Owen with 18, and he's still got six months to go until he turns 20. Um, which, <laughs> because this season's been stop-start and because we live everything in this kind of relentless schedule at the moment kind of forget he got double figures in the Premier League last season uh, uh, yeah so uh, he just looked on it again today which is really nice to see because there there was a he had he clearly had a bit of you know a few issues mid-season and wasn't quite at it so it's really nice to see him back again I don't think he'll unless his injuries he'll make the England squad which is you know is good for England because it shows we've got a lot of talent but he will you know the boy is going to be a superstar I think oh yeah he's the I think he's the biggest plus minus to a good 
Manchester United performance. I think when Mason Greenwood properly interprets his role and does the things he's asked to do, um, that is the difference between United looking okay and kind of stable and United looking like possible title contenders. He's got a lot on his plate. He's mm. being asked to play as a right winger while also being told he needs to learn the skills to be a central striker, which makes me think about that you know season in 2002-03 when Solskjaer played on the right-hand side and he figured it out. So... He's doing he's doing a lot of good work in quite difficult circumstances for a teenager to 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 do. Speaking of doing good work in difficult circumstances and having a lot of things on plates, your pal Marcus Rashford, who you you've been doing his book, you are a champion, or it might be the champion. Is it the champion? You are a champion. You are a champion. Yes. What what was that like, Carl? What's what, what what's he like? He's wonderful, really. Uh, I just about finished the final chapter uh, last week and I'd say it's been one of the most edifying rewarding experiences of my life it's been really fun going back and forth with him over more than just football but life uh, approaches to wins and losses and failure uh, how you make mates how you navigate school Um, there's been two or three times we've had a conversation and I've sort of laughed incredulously at how he's phrased things, because I thought, no, no, surely, surely it's more complicated than that. What, what but, kind of thing? Uh, <laughs> there's a chapter in the book about dealing with adversity and um, being nervous. And uh, we had a discussion about, has he ever felt nervous in a game? And you're sort of thinking about all the things Marcus has done, these great debuts for England, uh, the penalty against Paris Saint-Germain and you're expecting him to give you an answer like that uh, and he gave me an answer uh, about a game when he was 14 years of age playing for England and I said and I went that's the only time you've been nervous I went well yeah because as far as he sees it he played that game he didn't have a great performance because he was nervous so he went I'm not someone that plays well when I'm nervous so I'll just simply never be nervous again and you sort of do a, a strange laugh going that you can't do that, uh, and then you look, you look, you look into Marcus Rashford's face, and you go, "Of course, you would think that, because why wouldn't you? That's how you view football." Uh, and we had a further discussion. I said, "Well, weren't you nervous before your driving test?" And he sort of went, "Well, yeah, for like five minutes, but then once I realised it was going to be this bad, I just passed it first time." I went, "You passed your driving test first time?" I went, "Of course I did." Like, of course you would, because you're Marcus Rashford. You're just <laughs> your head is screwed on very well. And when you want to do something, you will do it. Um, wonderful man. Wish him only the best. Lovely stuff. The book is out May 17th. Nicely done, Carl. Uh, are Burnley in trouble, Matt? There's six, but you're, you're very much our go-to guy for predictions about things going down. <laughs> not anymore, he's not. Oh, he's yeah, because you said Fulham staying up. Been waiting over an hour for that has story um yeah Might no, as well but- toss a coin next season james <laughs> <laughs> no Burnley aren't in trouble because the three relegation places are already sewn up but it it, it will be interesting but to west see west brom uh, no no too late for west brom okay. it'd be interesting to see what burnley how burnley approached the transfer market in the summer because in commentary in the game today that there was talk of oh they might have to cut their cloth under the new owners and i'm thinking but they never spend any money anyway so right. how's that going to happen <laughs> um so they might be in a bit of trouble next year if that's their approach Indeed. All right. Well, you know, there's another game that we haven't addressed, which happened all the way back on Friday, Matt. So why don't you tell us about what was actually one of the weekend's more entertaining encounters, Everton's 2-2 draw with Spurs, two cracking goals from Wantaway Harry Kane. 
uh, some comedy defending, a penalty controversy. What did you think about all this? It was great from a Chelsea perspective because before the semi-final had kicked off, they'd already won the weekend with this game being a draw and, and West Ham um, losing. I think the Kane thing was interesting. This is obviously something that was in the in the Athletic last week about him considering leaving Spurs. And, and I kind of thought, well, that's nice. You can consider it as much as you want, but you're not going anywhere because nobody's paying £175 million for somebody who'll be 28 in July and misses, what, 10 games every season with the same injury. Um, but I think he's stuck there, unfortunately. He's got, what, three years left on his contract? Who's who's coming in to buy him? He's not, he's not a player who particularly fits Man City. He would certainly be the kind of ego signing, I'm sure, that Manchester United would love. But I don't think Daniel Levy would sanction that. Barcelona and Real Madrid don't have the money and would rather have Haaland and Mbappe anyway. So where's he going to go? He's, he's stuck at Spurs, I'm afraid. He'll have to go on loan to... West Ham to ensure he's eligible for the World Cup as of next summer. So that'll right. be fun. Uh, meantime, Harry Kane uh, picking up a, another ankle injury here, uh, which got a bit rolled. I can't remember. Was it, mm. it was uh, Richarlison who who sort of tumbled over on, on his foot, uh, which is a bit of concern. They've got another fixture coming up this week in the Premier League against Saints. And then, of course, the League Cup on Sunday. I imagine... Has there been any word yet about whether Harry's going to be back for that? He often does come back way earlier than expected, not always with the greatest results. And this is another thing that he can only get at Spurs, isn't it? You know, if you if he's not fit for the game at Tottenham, you feel like he's got the power to say, I am fit for the game and I'll start like he did in the Champions League final where he didn't get a kick. If he moves somewhere else, he's not going to have that level of autonomy that he's got now. A word for uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson's second goal as well, which was an absolute... Beautiful. I mean, he he both guided it by kind of opening up his body and using the kind of instep of his left foot, but then also somehow added more power by doing that as well. It was a gorgeous, gorgeous finish. And Everton just, you know, they are so infuriating. I mean, I kind of joked about it earlier, but they... If, if building a new stadium is their way of solving being awful at Goodison, it's just about becoming worth it. Because <laughs> since Ancelotti was appointed, they've won the same number of games as Sheffield United, which is impressive given that they've been wretched all season. Mm, indeed so. All right. Well, that was Friday night's 2-2 draw between Everton and Spurs. A reminder that the Totally Football League show with Matt Davis-Adams is out on Monday, obviously with some big news. Totally Scottish Football show with some equally... Uh, Sizable tidings to bring you. Vis-a-vis Old Firm and that is out on Tuesday with Andrew Slaven. The Offside Rule WSL edition is out on Tuesday too, as is the Totally Football Show European edition, which will have stuff like Alvaro, Morning, Athletic Bilbao, and how they got taken apart by Barcelona. Oof, vintage stuff from Messi and Co. What was it, 61 passes in the build-up to the fourth goal? Extraordinary. Riveting, maybe not, but extraordinary. Uh, we'll have uh, James Horncastle on what his mate Agnelli is up to. And, of course, Raphael Honigstein on Hansi Flick telling Bayern that he intends to do one and Bayern expressing strong disapproval. Woof. OK, all of that's coming up on Tuesday. A reminder that you can sign up for a subscription with excellent online publication, The Athletic, for its unrivaled coverage on the business end of the season. You get all the articles, all the podcasts ad-free, and Q&As with writers all for just £4 a month. You can find that on theathletic.com slash totally. Now, though, it is time for the grand finale of today's show, the Intertotally Cup. 
The Inter Totally Cup, sponsored by Paddy Power. Stadiums might not yet be full, but Paddy's offers are at full capacity. Get a free bet if one leg of your four plus fold ACA lets you down on all football matches and markets. TCC Supply, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. Yep, another round of the nation's favourite fixed entry podcast based football quiz. And it is today the final matchup of our opening round. As your wall chart will tell you, so far, Coxie has put out Tom Williams. He's going to be facing Matt here in the quarters, who outgunned Rory Smith. Duncan saw off Adrian Clark, and he's going to be up against Sasha Gurionov, who put out Daniel Story, last year's runner up. Uh, Jack Lang beat Natalie Jedra to earn a quarterfinal matchup with Benji Lagnado who defeated Alvaro, who's having a rotten season with Cups, generally. And Julien saw off a spirited Lindsay Hooper in Thursday's show, and he's going to be up against the winner of today's match. Who's it going to be? Let's meet the contestants. Up first, a man whose hair has only grown more luxurious in lockdown. He's business at the front, but party at the back. He is the one, the only, James Horncastle. All right, James. Good to have you back. Pleasure to be back, Jimbo. All right. Baker man. Loving that. Laid back. Mm. That's my approach. Is it? Right. Because it's it's so exciting. You're up against one of the the blue chip contenders, Dom Fifield. And as you probably know from your wall chart, winner faces Julian Laurence in the quarterfinals. That is a mighty tasty prize. It is. But uh, I like to go one quiz at a time, James. I'm not going to get ahead of myself. Okay. Well, let me just remind you that uh, whoever does win today will pick up £10 for the charity of their choice, which Paddy Power will place on a bet of their choosing. Uh, The proceeds from that are also going to charity. What would your wager and your charity be, James? I've gone for Reporters Without Borders. Because speaking truth to power is important, James, uh, more than ever. So, yeah, that's uh, that's my charity of choice. Okay. And what's the wager you'll be putting that on? That Roma will be in the Europa League final in Gdansk, James. Crikey. Okay. Let's meet your opponent today. And his opponent. He's a Crystal Palace supporter who right now smells the blood of a Yorkshireman. He is Dominic B. Five Fo Fum Five. Wow, Ooh, a little bit of <laughs> a little bit of Long Good Friday there, Tom. A bit of Long Good Friday, yeah. Nice. All right. Eclectic. How are you feeling then? Not too good. I, I'm I'm fine. I'm 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 all good. I'm vaccinated. I'm right. I'm feeling a bit fluey, but uh, as you've just told me, I should be I should be positive, and tomorrow will be tomorrow will be I'll be feeling great. Okay. Well. Not sure. I mean, you've been through the usual doping procedures. I'm not sure where the vaccine stands on that. Whether you put somebody else's urine. Right. Okay. Um, Well, we'll 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 skip past that then. Uh, What's your charity and what's your wager, Dom? Uh, St Christopher's Hospice in Sydenham, please. Okay. The wager that will be Roma will be playing Villarreal in the Europa League final. Crikey. Okay. Well, today. Sizzling matchup, though that is. We're all about another encounter. It's you against the Horn Dog. James, you're up first. If you're ready, okay. here comes question one. Who set up Sergio Aguero's goal to win Manchester City the title in 2012? It'd be Super Mario Balotelli. Correct. 
question two. Who scored Bayern Munich's goal when they lost to Chelsea in the 2012 Champions League final? Was it Swiney? Was it Bastian Schweinsteiger? It was not. It was Thomas Muller. Question three. Name either of the two US women's team players who've appeared for Manchester United this season. Oh, this is terrible of me. Um, I should be much better at this. I don't know, James. I don't know. The answer is Dom surely knew. It was either Tobin Heath or Kristen Press. Question four then, James. You need this one. Other than Argentina... Which national team has Marcelo Bielsa managed? That would be Chile. Correct. And question five. Who was Watford manager at the start of this season? (laughs) That's brutal. (laughs) I think his name is Thomas Love. Illich or something like that. Illich. Ivich. It's Ivich. I think it's a surname like that. No, it's... But like, could you spell your answer? Because I'm not sure of the, what, what, what vowels and consonants you're throwing well, in. Well, so I think I-V-I-C, Ivich. And what would the first name be? <laughs> um, I am going to go with... Um, uh, sorry, my wife is calling. It's not a phone a friend. <laughs> um, she's, she's at M&S. She's... Shall I, shall I ask if she knows? No, 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 no spousal. Uh, okay. Um, I'm going to say Thomas, Thomas Ivich. I'm going to go to producer Charlie on this one. Producer Charlie, what's the verdict on that? Producer Charlie says that for saying Thomas Ivich will give you a point because it's Vladimir Ivich. Okay, okay. It's his nickname, Thomas. They call him Big Tom. Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. So that gives you, James, three out of five. How do you feel? I actually I actually knew Tobin Heath. Right. Um, so, okay. But spectacular yeah. work finding in the back of your mind and kind of honing it, refining it until, you know, it became... <laughs> it, was, it was acceptable. Yeah. Excellent. All right, so three out of five is the score to beat. Dom, you're up next. Are you ready? Yes, go for Excellent. it. Excellent. Here comes question one. Who set up Lucas Moura's game-winning goal for Tottenham against Ajax in the 2019 Champions League semi-final? Who set up Lucas Moura's game-winning goal? Um, Sissoko? No, it was Deli Ali, Dom. Mm. Question two. Who scored Bayern Munich's goal when they lost to Manchester United in the 1999 Champions League final? Um, Bayern Munich's goal in the 1999 Champions League final. Any thoughts, Tom? Do you want to just say some consonants and see if... Sammy Kefer, he was was crying at the end. Blimey. Going to have to hurry you there, Dom. Uh, I'll go shiny just because why not <laughs> no idea popular choice and yet wrong again it's always wrong <laughs> it was Mario Basler Basler okay mm, Super Mario Basler question three Nick Cushing left his role as Manchester City women manager this season to take up a coaching role with which club New York City boom 
Correctamundo. Wow. Question four. You need both of these to pull level with Horncastle. Question four. Which club has Steve Bruce managed twice? Blimey, that's a good question. Um, Sheffield United? Is incorrect, Dom. I'm sorry. It was Wigan Athletic. Wigan Athletic. So with that, the final question is essentially irrelevant, but I'll ask you anyway. Question five. Who was Watford manager at the end of last season? (laughs) Hayden Mullins? Is correct. Oh, get in. (laughs) So two out of five, Dom. Some fiendish questions, so pretty respectable two out of five. Uh, but not enough to take you past uh, James Horncastle, who does go through to that dream quarterfinal matchup with Julian Laurence. Dreams for some, nightmares for other. I wonder, James, how confident you are about taking on the mighty Laurence. Well, I heard secondhand uh, whilst I was at the pub yesterday uh, from a good friend of mine that Julian was trash-talking me. <laughs> um, and I consider Julian a very good friend. Um, so the gloves are off in, 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 right. in this respect now. Yeah, I, I can't wait to destroy him. Okay. Well, that's part of a stellar quarterfinal a lineup that awaits us. It's lacking Dom Fifield, Dom, and we're sorry to see you go. It's been a pleasure taking part, James. Real, real pleasure. Thank you. Oh, very well, that's much for good. Me. That's good. Excellent. All right. We'll look forward to seeing you soon on The Totally Show. And James will catch up on Tuesday for our European edition. Wow, that was exciting. And I have to say, Matt here was kind of. You know how the managers head every ball. That that was Matt on pretty much. You were what did you get? Ten out of ten, I think. Matt was that? Not not ten out of ten. And the thing is, I've got Coxie in the next round, so it's all irrelevant anyway. But it's nice to um, just to flex my muscles in in front of everybody else on this Zoom. It was <laughs> it was, uh, it was impressive, I have to say, very impressive. It's like an aggressive alpha male at the gym. He was. It was yeah. awful to watch. That is, that is literally the first time <laughs> that, that has ever been said about me, Daniel. Thank you. That um, that quarterfinal clash between yourself and Coxie, though, I don't know. I, mm. I, I understand why you don't want to play. Play up your chances, but I, I think you can take him, Matt. I really do. Let's hope so. He beat me last year, but, you know, we'll just enjoy the occasion. No, nobody's expecting me to win. It's It should be a great day out for everybody associated with me. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that, that brings us to an end, sadly, of today's Totally Football show. Many, many thanks to Matt and Daniel and Carl for being with us, dealing with the many, many issues that the weekend presented. We will return with the Euro show on Tuesday and then again on Thursday. There's all sorts of other stuff you can enjoy in the meantime. But from now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic. Hey. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.